0: Hey there, before we begin today's episode of Growing Pulse Crops, I have a small but very important request of you. Please, if you don't mind, hit pause for just a few minutes here to take our audience survey. The link for it is at the very top of the show notes to this episode, no matter what platform you're listening on. You see, this show is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors, and they need to know if their money is going to good use. Also, producer Dr. Audrey K. Lyle and I would like to know how we can make it more valuable for you. So please just take a few minutes right now and click on that link for the survey in the show notes to give us your feedback. It's very much appreciated. This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today, on our final episode of Season 2
1: get it into a natural air bin, cool it down as quickly as possible to, you know, 15 degrees Celsius or probably about 60 degrees Fahrenheit because, you know, storage at those kind of temperatures, even if they're dry, is uh, not going to go well, I don't think.
0: I'm joined by Dale Rizzula and John Ippolito, both with the Ministry of Agriculture in Saskatchewan, Canada. Dale Rizzula, you might remember from episode nine of last season, talking about Canadian pulses, He's the provincial specialist for Pulse Crops and Special Crops and has been with the ministry since 1982. John Ippolito is a Crops Extension Specialist in West Central Saskatchewan, which is a large pulse growing area, including lentils, chickpeas and field peas. John spends most of his time working directly with growers on management practices. In today's episode, we're going to talk about some of the unique challenges pulse growers are facing this year with the hot and dry weather how these conditions could impact both yield and quality, what tools Canadian pulse growers are using for harvest aids, and some information on some of what I'll call alternative harvest approaches, like using swathing or stripper headers. Dale Rizzula starts our conversation off with a very timely and relevant topic for a lot of pulse growers throughout North America, the dryness and heat of this season, and how he thinks that'll impact yield and quality.
2: Well, Certainly, uh, I think first and foremost, the, the biggest impact that this is going to have is the uh, effect on yield. Uh, yield is likely going to be down from the average for much of the province. We're not sure exactly where quality might end up just yet. Uh, some of the grains themselves might be slightly lower than the average um, weight for per bushel weight. They're also going to be subject to chipping, the drier they are during harvest as they're handled and various equipment uh, forces may affect the seed coat and chip some of the seed coat, forcing a downward quality in the pulses as well. So that that's a potential problem that could occur. Uh, we haven't seen that yet. Many of the growers in, in Saskatchewan are quite accustomed to growing pulses and they know the kinds of things that could affect their quality. And I think they'll be taking measures to help alleviate those problems.
0: In addition to yield and quality concerns, Dale adds that safety needs to be on the top of everyone's mind this harvest season, partially due to extra dust.
2: I think that it's important that uh, growers also recognize that uh, certain crops have a, a bit of an issue with in terms of harvester fires and if it's this hot and dry in any given jurisdiction where pulses are being harvested, uh, the extra dust and uh, accumulation of fine particles that are associated with certain crops, and, and the pulses are perhaps one of the main ones, can cause uh, conditions where harvester fires could be ignited. And the ignition point is, is different on a pulse than it is a cereal, for example. Uh, There was some work done in the U.S. that showed the same thing was in place for sunflower, a lower ignition temperature to ignite that dust. So cleanliness is of utmost importance, and and, an air pressure system to blow the dust off of any hot manifolds and things like that off the harvester equipment is uh, really important in order to reduce fires, which can do a lot of damage to the equipment. The the swaths that might be out there, the grain that's out there, and uh, any infrastructure that's out there. So I think uh, growers need to take that into account at this time of year if they're facing these kinds of conditions.
0: But the concerns go beyond just the harvest process itself. The challenges of the year could carry through to post-harvest as well. Dale lists some of these concerns and what to watch out for.
2: There's no magic uh, cure for the problem like uh, with respect to, to extreme heat for this prolonged period of time, it's, it's definitely going to take its toll on the crop it already has, and it's brought on rapid maturation, which might affect the quality, as I mentioned earlier, by having a, a lower uh, bushel weight on the crops. I think that uh, you know care has to be taken in terms of how the crop is handled, because if it is Overly dry, then, you know, you risk things like seed crackage and things like that. So dropping it into a bin uh, can cause some damage to the seed coat and some some of these pulses. uh, And uh, just the way it's handled, if it's overly dry, has to be, you know, cared for very closely. If it's put into storage where it's really hot, so the grain itself is harvested hot and it's put into a bin, then this grain has a tendency to sweat afterwards and and still let off some CO2. So essentially what could happen is that you could have some moisture pockets develop within the stored grain, which could cause spoilage. So it's really important to aerate it when it's that hot in order to cool it to a more reasonable temperature so that the storage is not going to be affected by a buildup of any hot spots that might occur within the grain. That probably would occur within the grain with these conditions.
0: Now, obviously, the weather is out of our control. There's just so much we can do. But what options do growers have to try to mitigate some of these challenges to the best of their ability?
2: Well, essentially, uh, you know, cutting at the right time is really important. So the right time, that being the right moisture content, uh, not waiting until the crop is too dry, and also uh, cutting under conditions where there's high humidity that can help reduce uh, shattering as well. Uh, so those are kind of the main ways that growers can uh help reduce the losses that occur with shattering. The other thing about with lentils particularly if if you're going to be swathing them, they the uh, pods can be awfully close to the ground, so um you need to adjust your your cutter bar fairly low to the ground with a certain angle in order to get those pods and not lose them because, as John had alluded to earlier, that's the major part of your uh, yield is likely to come from those pods that develop first and mature mostly, uh, most quickly are are those pods near the bottom part of the plant. So it's really important that you do obtain those pods in your harvest or you start losing a a major part of of your yield. The other factor that one needs to consider is the quality and how you might affect that by mixing in any amount of of soil or dirt with the pods, because you start doing that and you're basically creating what they call earth tag, and that's going to be a downgrading factor, so it really needs to be set in such a fashion that it's not... Harvesting the soil and yet still getting those uh, particular pods near close the, that are near and close to the ground. So, um, there are recommendations for settings that have been um, placed into uh, the literature over the years because of all the testing that's been done. And um, in many instances, some equipment modifications, including pickup reels and vine lifters, can help greatly in order to help reduce that. That factor that's involved with
0: that. John Ippolito, who works extensively with pulse growers in West Central Saskatchewan, echoed Dale's comments and said overall, the approach of growers is largely the same this year as any other, with maybe a few exceptions.
1: I think there's some thought this year with field peas and uh, red lentils that if the field's kind of weed free, we may just let them. Naturally, essentially desiccate and then uh, straight combine, I think is what we'll see a number of growers doing. Large green lentils, they're a little more indeterminate in growth. Uh, so we seem to, you know, regularly have to kind of use a desiccant to stop them. So we'll probably still be using desiccants on large greens in particular or any field that has a weed problem that's going to hinder harvest. Um, The growers here are reasonably experienced. They're probably going to start harvesting in that 16 to 18% range in most cases, moisture-wise, and then uh, use natural air to dry them down. That's going to be a critical piece uh, with anything that's currently being harvested, is the natural aeration. Even this morning, I heard of you know one guy that was combining peas that were you know 38 degrees Celsius. So that'd be Fahrenheit. It's probably you know 100 degrees plus. So our recommendation to them would be uh, get it into a natural air bin, um, cool it down as quickly as possible to you know 15 degrees Celsius, or probably about you know, 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Because, you know, storage at those kind of temperatures, even if they're dry, is uh, not going to go well, I don't think. so.
0: John said some of the most questions he's getting this time of year from growers in his area are all dealing with this topic of weeds headed into harvest.
1: Well, I think in terms of harvest prep, probably the biggest one we've seen recently uh, it has to do with weeds and pulse crops. Uh, you know, we now have the situation where we have kochia in particular that's creating problems for us uh, in lentils and more so than even the other pulses. So so that's having some impact on, um, I guess, the harvest aid selection, which is probably why we're going more diquat than we probably have used in recent times. Uh, so that's, you know, quite often been one of the questions is about, uh, you know, which harvest aid do we use? For sure, post-harvest, our biggest one is uh, the proper handling and cooling and drying of of those grains. Uh, You know, as we talked earlier, some of the grain currently being harvested is extremely warm. Um, And in most cases here, we would harvest on the tough side, two or three percent above the dry moisture content, and then use natural air grain drying to dry it down. So So the warm temperatures are helping with that immensely, but at the same time, uh, you know, once we get done blowing that warm air through to get the moisture content down, then we have to, in turn, uh, blow some cold air through it to cool it off. But fair to say that's common practice now, I think, amongst most of our pulse growers, that they would plan to harvest on the tough side and use the natural air grain drying to dry the pulses now.
0: You heard John mention getting questions about which harvest aids to use. I asked him to maybe walk us through the thought process growers go through to decide on how to approach desiccation.
1: For sure what the desiccants are being used for is to uh, get you know all the plant material to dry down in kind of a uniform manner. And when I'd mentioned, you know, large green lentils in particular, where it's maybe needed more so than in the other crops, they're indeterminate, so it's not uncommon to see mature pods on the bottom of the plant and still the odd flower on top of the plant and, and somewheres in between. Um, so the desiccant is applied based on those lower pods because they are prone to shattering if they're left too long. We go by the rule of thumb that, uh, you know, we should be at 30% moisture content which roughly means on a lentil plant, the bottom third of the pods are gold-colored. The seeds are essentially detached from inside the pod. A good measure that some of us use is uh, you brush your hand across the top of the canopy, uh, and if you uh, hear rattling, you're at the right stage. Uh, The reds, uh, red lentils, uh, Less prone to shattering and more likely to kind of dry down uniformly. Uh, But because of, you know, variation in elevation in the field and and whatever, they still may wish to use a desiccant to get them uh, to dry down more uniformly. Uh, Much the same with peas. They would still use a desiccant more for uniform dry down than
0: anything. I know that some growers in the U.S. at least are concerned about increased regulation when it comes to agronomic tools like glyphosate, for example. But for Harvest Aid specifically, I wondered what tools were available to growers in Canada and if they were experiencing any of these similar regulatory pressures.
2: Well, there are some options for desiccation. quad uh, is probably the uh, the one of the major choice. So. Glyphosate has never been uh, an option for desiccation. It's a perennial weed control that may offer some benefits of desiccation because it helps to dry to uh, crop down more evenly, uh, but it's certainly not meant to be a desiccant by any means. It's uh, more of a weed control uh, product. And uh, it's something that's uh, ruled and, and governed by Health Canada who are primarily and ultimately mostly concerned with the health benefits of anything that glyphosate is used for, for consumption. So there are no health problems that are associated with glyphosate, providing it's used at the recommended levels as per label. And uh, the ultimate measure of that is, is in MRLs, which are maximum residue limits that are uh, controlled by various jurisdictions. All all countries uh, have their own MRLs, or they go by the codex MRLs, which are set internationally. And those levels are not health-related levels. Those are levels that are accepted in the trade as far as what's acceptable for export and import. They are often related to health measures. And anything that's uh, an MRL measurement is at least 100 times less than what would ever be considered a health problem. Uh, when you, you, You're talking about parts per billion here. So the equivalent of that is like a few seconds in a century. That's parts per billion. It's such a small, minute amount that uh, really, you know, it's negligible. So, so that's something that's controlled by Health Canada and uh, set by the PMRA, Pest Management Regulatory Agency in Canada. And that there there's similar agencies in the U.S. and other uh, jurisdictions as well that come up with those levels, and and that's kind of what we use. So until we're told otherwise, we're just going to follow the regulations.
0: For more information on MRLs around the world, I highly recommend you go back and listen to episode 11 of this season with Todd Schultz. Great episode there. John added that although Daiquat is still the primary tool, there have in fact been newer options for harvest aids that have also hit the market.
1: There has been a few newer, I guess, herbicides available as harvest aids, carfentrazone and saflufenicil in particular. Um, Now, in the case of saflufenicil, or uh, otherwise known as HEAT, it's registered for red lentils only. And both of those would be mixed with glyphosate. So the glyphosate's doing the perennial weed control while the other one does the crop dry down is kind of how they're working. but I think in most cases now we're probably seeing as Dale said earlier probably Diquat is uh, still probably the main go-to product and you know glyphosate in particular as we've indicated earlier not positioned at all as an actual harvest aid or a crop dry down its big reason for use is perennial weeds Canada thistle in particular would be the main reason why growers would actually be uh, wanting to use what we call pre-harvest glyphosate on their pulse crops.
0: Now, with these options being commonly used among conventional pulse crop growers, I wondered about organic producers and how they accomplish desiccation without using them.
1: The organic pulse growers uh, would be you know, heavily reliant on the swather. That would be their main method of harvest. And um, there was a time where swathing was pretty prevalent, even amongst the conventional growers, uh, but we've seen you know less and less swathing going on in, in the last, I would say, 15 years. Uh, we've pretty much moved to the majority of pulse growers straight combining their pulse crops. But for sure, the swather would be the choice for the organic community. It's interesting. Swathing would normally be done about the same stage that we would have applied the desiccant. So the crop is pretty mature by the time we swathe. And then for sure, we, uh, you know, cut it, put it into a windrow, and then uh, the combine picks up those windrows. And, uh, you know, with large green lentils in particular, there has been some feeling that we actually probably get a better color by swathing compared to desiccant. And color can be important to some buyers. Maybe not quite as critical for the other um, pulse crops. Swathing has been done in the past with peas. Unfortunately, mature pea plants make for a very fluffy swath. So, in most cases, swathing occurred as short a time period as possible in front of the combine. Um, Matter of fact, sometimes you would see the swathers literally only one or two rounds in front of the combine. Uh, So, it was a very mature plant. And, uh, you know, they did it when straight combining technology wasn't available, essentially. So...
0: As John just alluded to, combine technology has advanced and become more widespread, so swathing is just not done much anymore in Saskatchewan, other than, of course, by the organic producers. Dale adds that yes, this is most of the reason, but there are also a few other factors at play as well.
2: Well, it's probably both uh, the cost reduction and the number of times you have to go over the field to ultimately, you know, harvest that, that crop is one aspect of it another is just uh, the risk that you might take by harvesting some of this material because of uh, what it's prone to you know if if you swath the crop and uh, suddenly the weather takes turns for the worse and it starts raining on it you can see damages to the grain because it starts sprouting or some disease starts to grow on the material or it gets flattened and harder to pick up because it's flattened right close to the soil or um, the other thing is that it might might affect the color of the crop itself. So the grains that have uh, discoloration, and that's probably more so with pea than it is with lentil, but it can affect lentil too. And um, those kind of factors take into account um, uh, most of the growers' uh, decision as to whether they want to go straight combine or they want to swath and combine later. That's been the, the biggest part of the decision making process that's gone on over the years, and I I would say the majority of growers now straight combine their uh, pulse crops.
0: As we round out today's discussion on harvest and post-harvest considerations in pulses, I wanted to ask John and Dale about stripper headers. They said they have been researched in the province, but really haven't achieved widespread adoption to this point.
1: Yeah, th- there was some work done probably about ten years ago now. That what's called the Wheatland Conservation Area in Swift Current, where they'd done some research with stripper headers on uh, lentils in particular, and uh, there really wasn't any uptake by the commercial growers. It was, you know, not considered to be all that successful. And I think part of that might have been, uh, you know, things like large green lentils, where you know they need some other practice to. Uh, make sure that they're evenly mature. So that might have been part of it. I think the other part of it, and maybe not as quite as critical on pulses, but the growers that have used stripper headers, the other part of their management practice is they're heavily reliant on uh, disc opener seeding equipment to get through the crop residue that's left after the stripper header. You know, they have a different piece of seeding equipment as well as a different header for their combine, I think is fair to say for most.
2: That's exactly uh, correct with what John just described. And uh, I I think that the use of stripper headers in the province pretty much says the same thing. It's very rare that you see any stripper headers being utilized for harvesting any of the pulses. And uh, no one really has been talking about it very much. Um, I can see, though, that it has a potential, particularly with, as you mentioned before, Tim, the, the talk about the use of desiccants and, and harvest aid materials in, in terms of what the population wants in the food that they eat, you know? Uh, and so if that becomes more and more of an issue over time, then certainly those desiccants and things that are used as harvest aids may diminish in usage or even disappear. So alternate forms of harvest will have to be developed in order to deal with uh, harvesting pulses and um, harvesting them with the uh, least amount of uh, work or um, processes uh, as possible. So a stripper hair could certainly reduce that because you don't have to go and swath uh, the crop first and then pick it up with a combine layer. You just simply go in and harvest it. It may have some use in the future we're not ruling that out it's just right now you don't really see it here at least not on the pulses
0: well thank you so much to both dale rizzula and john ippolito for being on the show today if you'd like to learn more about their work that they're doing up there in saskatchewan we'll put a link in the show notes for the saskatchewan ministry of agriculture website so you can go check that out and speaking of links in the show notes please if you didn't at the top of the show take a few minutes to complete that audience survey This show is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors, and we'd like to let them know that their money is going to good use. Also, we'd like to know how this show could be more valuable to you. So whether this has been your first episode or maybe your 20th that you've listened to, please take just a few minutes now and click the link for the survey in the show notes to give us your feedback. It's very much appreciated. This show is brought to you by the Pulse Crops Working Group with support from the USA Dry and Lental Council, as well as the North Central IPM Center and USDA NIFA. We've been releasing these episodes every other week throughout the growing season and we'll be back with season three in a few months. So please tweet us with any feedback or suggestions by using the hashtag growingpulsecrops. We'll be back with another great season in 2022.